0: all right well here we go another edition of radio friendly unit shifters thanks to nirvana for the song title uh, concept for the uh the name of the thing here and uh, we have a bunch of fun just going back through uh, some great stories from industry insiders and folks that i've uh, long admired through my years in the radio world and uh, the AAA world specifically. So I've been looking forward to uh, checking in with this guy for a long while. We're thrilled that he has uh, a few spare moments for us during this crazy time. The Reverend Keith Goes from Lightning 100 in Nashville. How are you, sir? Good to see you and speak with you.
1: I am well. Um, I'm dealing with the pandemic as well as possible and trying to get out whenever I can.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean everybody's been kind of hunkered down like uh, I know live music has been such an important part of of your life and my life and we've known each other a bunch of years I mean have you been tuning into a lot of these live streams or uh, buying maybe some extra albums that you wouldn't have bought in the past or how because it's been so hard you know for artists through this time
1: Um, I have not watched a lot of live streams I, I watch Todd Snyder every Sunday morning he broadcasts from the purple building down the street from my house. Nice. Um, he's And I've been going to a few shows at third and Lindsley. We've been doing business with them for over 25 years and they're back doing shows with a limited audience. You have to be separated. The chairs and tables are far apart. Yeah. You can't sit at the bar and you can't stand up and you can't do a bunch of stuff, but you can go see a show. You have okay. to wear a mask. You go in, they have hand sanitizer everywhere. You know, you can go see a show. In fact, Marcus King is playing three nights there this weekend.
0: Oh, awesome. Are they doing web streams of their stuff too, or is it just uh, in person? Yeah, they
1: actually, Third and Lindsley actually just signed up with a company called Nugs.
0: Yeah, Nugs.
1: And and they broadcast a lot of their shows for our radio show on Sunday. You can listen to it on the radio. You can also watch it on Nugs. I I think it's maybe like $10 for, for the Nugs video.
0: And I think, um, what was it, Devin Gilfillian and Illiterate Light did a show together at the Brooklyn Bowl, I think, that was through Nugs. And uh, that was a cool live stream. And Pearl Jam's been doing stuff with Nugs, so they, they seem to be, they're like the Zoom of the, uh, <laughs> the live stream concert world at this point, it seems like. They're doing great, a great job. But that, that's one of the many legendary venues there. Have there been any that have shut down completely during this time, or are they all kind of it, trying to hang in there? It's
1: hard because no one's had any shows. I yeah. mean, um, I could list off probably eight or ten places that you've heard of. The Exit Inn, The End, um, The Cannery, The Mercy Lounge, The High Watt, The Five Spot, The Bluebird Cafe, all those places have been shut. They've yeah. done a few live stream shows from their venue with no crowd but third and lindsley is pretty much the only place that i go to that's open i mean there's bars and honky tonks downtown but i don't go yeah. to
0: those yeah that's more of the tourist trap area right downtown
1: correct
0: correct okay exit in was the one that was hit by the tornado too so it was kind of like uh, um, the pandemic actually, was right on top of that wasn't it
1: they weren't actually hit by the tornado but you know all of nashville was hit by the tornado Mm. which was a week before the pandemic hit yeah so i mean all the clubs here have been screwed since march some places haven't had a show in six or eight months i don't know how you pay insurance and rent and all the rest of the stuff plus you have beer sitting in the cooler that you have to pay for that no one's gonna drink kind of sad
0: yeah it's been crazy and you know, of course, no Bonnaroo. That that's sort of in your neck of the woods there too. You and I have hung out uh, many times at, at Bonnaroo's past, and they're shooting for, I guess, what September of next year, and uh, hopefully they'll yeah, be able like to Labor do that. Like Labor Day
1: weekend, I think.
0: Okay, so which, hopefully uh, we'll have the vaccine be- in order, and
1: <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> we're good to go. But I, yes. I can't
1: picture eighty thousand people hanging out in that close of a proximity. Unless they have a
0: vaccine. I just can't picture it. Yeah, I think we'll have to have that. And hopefully there'll be a few different ones out there by then for sure. So let's go back in time here to kind of start off with, obviously the current time is tough to even ponder, you know, how we're going to get through these next few months uh, to get to the new year and everything. But I've always been intrigued by your story coming out of, Minneapolis and uh, talk about kind of your growing up and the music you listened to and and how the heck you got into radio in the first place, because you really didn't start radio until you moved to Nashville, right? That
1: is correct. As a kid, I listened to the radio all the time. I listened to the baseball games. I listened to football. I listened to music. I thought the DJs, I even thought the talk show hosts were interesting. I thought it was a cool job that you could like talk and like they would pay you money to do that. (laughs) <laughs> and then I would go to the state fair and I would, they'd have a, a booth where they were broadcasting live and I would go and meet the different DJs and sometimes they'd give me a free album or something. It was kind of cool. Um, but my parents moved here when I was in high school, moved to Tennessee from Minnesota. Okay. And when I was in college, I listened to WRVU, which, is, which was uh, Vanderbilt University's radio station. And I heard them say, "Hey, we're having a we need DJs for this next semester. Um, Come and sign up to be a DJ." And they didn't say that you had to be a student. And I was college age. They never asked me if I was a student. I just signed up, and I was on the radio there for four years before they ever (laughs) found out I didn't go to school there. I was the music director for two years.
0: that is awesome so you know college radio i think of my days in the early 90s at mizzou they had a great college station and uh you know you we play whatever we wanted you they did kind of make it tough though because you had to do that first semester if you really wanted to do it you had to do a two to six a.m shift then you could yep. move up you know that next you do like six to nine i think then it was nine to 11 and then like you would get the afternoon show finally by like your third year. So that, that would weed out all of the people who just thought it was going to be, Oh, I can play, you know, F bombs whenever I want. And it'll be the coolest thing. Right.
1: I'm a few years older than you. So college radio in the eighties was like uh, the rock station in town would be playing journey and foreigner and Ted Nugent and sticks. And we'd be playing Elvis Costello and the police joe jackson you know just cool cool stuff people with skinny ties people with weird haircuts that that was the gold cool jam back in the 80s man
0: did you guys have a system i feel like a lot of college stations had like the you know you would assign a certain number of uh, albums to reviewers and then they would put their you know two cents of if they thought the album was any good or not and they'd kind of post that on the thing you would have to sort of mark down like were you reporting to CMJ and stuff we reported to
1: CMJ back then yeah and we had a review sheet on the on the front of every album and people would write down the best two or three songs yeah They'd also write down the time and like how the song ended and began so if you wanted to talk over it or do a segue or whatever um, and then they would put down whatever songs had words you couldn't play
0: yeah so it was somewhat organized chaos, you know. You you didn't want to play the exact song that somebody had just played the previous shift. Exactly, and was, it was all hand handwritten, and you just you know, hoped everybody did their part. <laughs>
1: well, college radio is weird enough that half the time the show that came on after yours was like the bluegrass show right. or like the Egyptian music hour or something. It's like okay, I, my show was the was the hardcore metal show. They don't, I don't have to worry about that at all.
0: So you pretty much stayed in, in that genre then for what you were doing?
1: Uh, well, I, I was the music director at the alternative station, but I used to do a metal show in college radio. Okay. And also did one at several other stations in Nashville as well.
0: Man, that's, that's awesome. And I know you've seen a million shows uh, throughout your life, whether it was your Minnesota days or Nashville. But So what are your, what's your kind of Mount Rushmore then when it comes to metal? Uh,
1: so many of them, maybe like being in the snake pit at Metallica, like that was like a, a stage drop area in the middle of the stage. They had like some people from the fan club in there, um, seeing them at Bonnaroo. Basically, every Bonnaroo experience is like, you can't even make that stuff up. How privileged and what an insider look that we have as radio guys in the radio area to meet the artist, go back and have a drink with them. And then you can go and go by the soundboard and stand around in a little fenced off area where no one bothers you and watch the show. Boom.
0: <laughs> yeah. It doesn't suck. It's, it's pretty sweet. It's sweet gig. Um, and that's part of the reason, you know, we've talked about this before, why I stayed in radio as long as I did it. The perks were just, you know, the pay always stunk, but you were getting, you know, access and you were able to interview cool artists and maybe have them come by the station or see shows and you know you get CDs sent to you I mean I can only imagine you guys working in Nashville how much music are you being asked to play on a weekly basis or daily basis basically right
1: well on a daily basis a lot in our (laughs) local artists are so prevalent I was looking at our local artist category we have a certain category we what we play just local artists and uh, I was looking through here, and you probably have heard of most of them. Judah and the Lion. Yeah. Carolina Story. Adia Victoria. The Weeks. Jeremy Ivey. He's Margot Price's husband. Yeah. Kristen Maroney. Ashley Ray. Amanda Shires. Colony House. The Wild Feathers. Langhorn Slim. Ron Gallo. Aaron Lee Tasgian. Those are all people who live in Nashville, <laughs>
0: right? You guys it's could like, almost be an all-Nashville station if you wanted to. Exactly,
1: right? <laughs> exactly. With all the local people plus all the national acts, it's it's crazy. It's really crazy.
0: Before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of the the radio market there in in Nashville and how you guys have done such a great job with the the commercial radio success of Lightning 100. And I've gotten to know some of the Lightning 100 folks from Bonnaroo because they're the ones that are kind of engineering and helping out all the other stations that participate back there uh, with all of our gear and just making it so seamless that we can be on site and broadcasting all that. Man, that was so fun. But um Take me back to those. Did you see a, a show or was it Headbangers Ball on MTV or something? What What was it that kind of clicked with you and, uh, and heavy metal music? <laughs> was there a station playing it on the radio back then in,
1: in uh, Minnesota? No, no. When I moved to Nashville, I was in high school and uh, there was a station called Rock 106 that used to play like the Scorpions and Judas mm-hmm. Priest and so on. And I would go to their shows and I was, even though I was in college radio and we didn't play those bands, we played enough bands that the concert promoters worked with that I would get tickets for anything I wanted to. So it was like, oh, I'm going to that. So I've <laughs> is, seen just about everyone you can think of seeing.
0: Yeah, is, is Rock 106 still around? Uh,
1: no, it isn't. Actually, it's called The Rock. It's now iHeartMedia Classic Rock Station.
0: Ah, okay. It's so
1: several different incarnations. It was a... It
0: was a hot AC for a while. It's been all kinds of things. Oh, wow. Okay. In that market, can you talk about the dynamics of, you know, the various stations that you've worked at? And then I feel like just from the outside, but still being kind of in that, in the AAA format, it seemed like there was a change at, I don't know if it was the GM or the ownership for uh, Lightning 100 where you guys really did start championing. The local bands and, and new music more so than maybe you did in the early years was there a shift there at some point or how have you kind of navigated those those waters over time at that great station
1: well i've worked there almost the entire time the station's been on the air and back well the station got started i think in 1990 and uh, they just celebrated 30 years last weekend they did throwback weekend of radio lightning throwback 30 and every hour was a different, uh, different year of music. So, yeah. that was, but back when we started, uh, there wasn't really a triple a format. I mean, it came on, came on a couple of years after that when they had the first triple a meeting up in Boulder. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, we basically played whatever people sent us in the mail or dropped off because, you know, we were a new station and, didn't report to anybody and a few cool record guys knew about us and they would come by and bring us lots of stuff and they got their songs on the air quick man it was like okay you serviced us and we had this cool band called toad the wet sprocket i like those guys that's cool you know this other guy this is 25 years ago we were still on second avenue this guy bought this new artist by and she played at our christmas party and then she played at this little bitty club that's not in back there anymore um, called Diamond in the Rough. It's down about a block from the Predators Arena. And uh, now she lives in Nashville and listens to the station all the time. Her name is Cheryl Crow.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that really was at the very beginning of her career. and
1: That was when her first album came out. <laughs> so. You know, when when we were young, I mean, if record company people were cool and bought artists by, we were like, whoa, this is so cool. Someone takes us seriously. And we tried to play really good music, and we did, but it was a very eclectic mix. And uh, I think it still is, uh, especially for a commercial station, but in our town, there's not really a real alternative station at this point, and there's not really a hot AC. Uh, There is a new station that just signed on this past week,
0: not XP and in, in XP, I think.
1: <laughs> yes, it's where I used to work.
0: It's, oh, okay. It's the
1: old 91 Rock.
0: Oh, wow.
1: See, they, they bought it and turned it into classical about seven or eight years ago. Okay. But they couldn't make it work, so now they're going alternative. Uh-huh. Of some sort. I've been listening to it for a couple of days. It's an interesting mix.
0: Yeah, and, um, you know, Music City, obviously, there. So you guys have really kind of found your niche, I feel like, with – you know the the concerts on the green there that attract what 40 fifty thousand people or something no no
1: no probably more like between 15 and 20 every oh, week okay okay but it's you know that's, it's a free show we do, yeah <laughs> we do six of them and it's it's fun and it's really really cool because it's downtown right in the center of downtown you can find a place to park you can take uber or lyft you can ride the bus and it drops you off right outside the, the venue and they have a couple of Uh, blocks of food trucks set up they have beer tents set up everywhere and it's it's a great live experience you can bring your kids you can bring your dog and hang out on the lawn boom we've been doing that for i think maybe 11 years now
0: yeah and i love how you guys were able to kind of this year obviously you couldn't do all those concerts throughout the summertime but you were able to let people know that you do have this history, and you were you play, you've recorded pretty much all those sets over the years. So you made a whole. What weekend was it that you did? Uh, was that um, Monday? I think that
1: was Labor Day weekend. We Labor did Day. live High Green, and we had um, we used some recorded things that we had, and asked other artists to submit concert, and uh, they, they did it. And we had well over a hundred artists that submitted music for us to play over like four or five days. It was. Great programming, great radio.
0: Oh, totally. It was like a music festival on the air. I mean, it was... Yes.
1: It's a lot of yeah. work, but it, it's worth it.
0: I was going to say, yeah, how much time did that... <laughs> it probably took a you a little, whole month or to <laughs> schedule it all, right? Oh, man. We
1: do lots of specialty programming at the station. We do six one five day, which is, what, June 15th? Yeah. It's all local artists because that's our area code.
0: So a whole day of locals, yeah. Yeah.
1: Man. which is not hard to do when you can blend in the Kings of Leon and Ben Folds and right. the black keys and whatever else, you know, it's everybody. If I was in Iowa, it'd be different.
0: Yeah. Have you seen, obviously the the real estate market has changed uh, since you moved there, but I mean, what about all of these? It's, it's more, it seems like more of a rock town now than a, than a country town almost, or is it 50, 50? What, what would you say?
1: I really can't comment on that because I don't know anything about country music except for what I see on the news or on some billboard. Um, I don't know any people who listen to country music. I have friends who work in the country music business, but right. most of them don't listen to it either. Yeah, uh, It's just a job. So I don't know, man.
0: Well, and I guess you and I are probably thinking on the same wavelength in terms of they call it Americana now, right? But that that to me is like the country music that's actually worth listening to and that that's, you know, got good lyrics and good songwriting and it's not just kinda coming out of a factory somewhere.
1: Well most of the people who are on Americana are either people who are either on the folky side or on the rootsy side. And a lot of that's things a lot of those are things that get put on regular AAA A radio to begin with. Right. Whether it's Mumford and Sons or the war in Shreetie. Yeah. Or uh margo price like you know even um nowadays sturgill simpson gets played on triple a um i don't think he gets played on country that much right i don't the country radio so i i look at the chart and i go i don't know who any of those guys are (laughs) i I think this guy wears a baseball hat and this guy wears a cowboy hat that's right (laughs) well
0: it is kind of funny too to me that the industry you know When an artist is either, you know, outspoken or maybe some of their lyrical content is not going to get them on country radio, then kind of the default is like, oh, well, AAA will play it. Let's push it towards AAA, you know. And it as a a format, I feel like we have expanded the the parameters of what it can be. I mean, it was always pretty wide open, but you know, there are certain stations that kind of lean a little bit more towards the new music angle and some stations that are still playing a lot you know it, it takes a lot for them to play more than one or two new things an hour and they're really st- you know still sticking by the the 80s and 90s and even 60s and 70s in some cases i'm thinking of like xrt and vco and some of those stations that have been around forever but those there were, are
1: there are a few stations that i listen to that i know every song that comes on <laughs> like in like Okay, I know that. I know that. Yeah, some stations I listen to will go, okay, I hit, hit, use my Shazam because I don't recognize it, and it's like, wow, I, I feel dumb. I should know this.
0: <laughs> well, I just saw a commercial during the football game where Google. I guess now you can you can hum the the tune into Google, and it'll tell you. Old Town Road was the song they were using in the commercial, but uh, that'll be interesting to see if they can give Shazam a run for their money there. Because to this hmm. point, Shazam has really been the the only game in town, right? Do you guys look at the the stats on stuff like that when, when you're trying to yeah, decide we do. On music?
1: we do. it's do. Yeah. Uh, it's often interesting that if we're the only station in town playing a song and it shows up on the top Shazam list, it makes you go, okay, either people, either they love this song or they hate it. I'm not sure which one it is, but <laughs> they want to know what it is.
0: You can't tell sometimes with that data, right? It's like maybe this is a <laughs> horrible song that people want to know they never want to have it in their life ever again. But, uh, but usually I'd say that's probably an indicator that they do want to, but you know, now it's tough to even, you can't go buy iTunes sales or whatever we used to use for billboard had to kind of reconfigure their whole formula for streaming numbers and all, you know, the, the YouTube video clicks and all that. I mean, how do you guys run your uh, your music meetings? Because I've I've heard stories of like you kind of invite a hodgepodge of people in in every week.
1: Well, there's the old music meeting and the new music meeting.
0: Yeah, with via Zoom, right?
1: <laughs> yes. The old music meeting, we would have um all the DJs are invited. So it would be five or six DJs plus um We would have any band that wanted to come in could come in and play their song and any record company people that wanted to come and play their music could come in so sometimes there'd be 20 people in the meeting and (laughs) then we'd run out of chairs you know but it would take we wouldn't get to everything on our list but we'd get to everyone that came and presented and some stuff was really good some people were good enough that we actually added their song like maybe a week later it was like boom, that was really that was better than half the crap that was on a major label. And this was unsigned, that was it just came in the door.
0: Man. That is so, so cool.
1: I mean in Nashville, half the people here came here to be in the music business. So it kinda like it's like LA or New York for being an actor or writer or whatever. hmm So
0: Well, does some of that go back to your college radio days too? Sort of that sensibility? I mean did you guys ever have bands on the air back then? I mean, Vanderbilt probably had some rules uh, in place. but um, They
1: didn't have any rules. No because rules?
0: That's awesome. No,
1: no. They drank so much beer in the radio station. It was ridiculous. Well,
0: no, That was the Vander- heyday, really, of college radio. I mean, do you remember breaking like certain bands? You guys were playing them for the first time that anybody well, really played them? I
1: remember we used to play Jason and the Scorchers. Um, we played R.E.M. when they had a three-song EP out. Yeah. And I think they played their first show out of Athens in Nashville at this uh, club called Cantrells. So many bands that that we played back in the day, when the rock shows were all coming to town, the the rock station got them. But when the alternative shows came to town, the promoter would make WRVU the presenting station and and give us tickets, even though we were not even a commercial station. It was kind of
0: crazy. Yeah, and that's what I I love about this um, doing this podcast and kind of visiting with people who have those stories because I I feel like the kids in college right now just have no idea the role that college radio played in breaking those bands because there was no outlet for an REM or even you know like the police or whatever when they first got going it was on IRS records right like right exactly <laughs> they were independent bands nobody was getting it's hard enough now to get play as an independent artist so back then it was virtually impossible i mean nirvana pretty much changed the game for everybody of course in the early 90s and there was just so you know there was such an alternative Movements there that enabled the format to kind of emerge out of that and AAA sort of played off of that as almost like an alternative light there for for its uh first few years and kind of leaned on the the classic rock stuff but um I don't know how have you seen the the format develop here in the last even five or ten years in, in terms of the the new music mix versus um Because at a certain point, like, you can't play everything. Like, you sort of have to make those decisions of, like, man, I don't know, do we need to play Talking Heads once in a lifetime anymore? Or is that, like, the hill that we die on? Like, we have to play, you know, there's a handful of songs you have to play as a AAA, right?
1: (laughs) We have a pretty big library at the station. So we still play a lot of the classic songs from the 80s. I even see a few from the 70s that come up every once in a while. But if they're a great song, it's just a great song and we can mix those in and most people who listen to music these days if they're listening to cool stuff their parents or their older brother or their cousin listened to cool stuff and turned them on to it and they'll still go see paul simon if he came to town if david byrne came they would go see him so they still appreciate the you know the old stuff
0: i feel like that's what's allowed AAA to kind of endure through all of these different changes. Like, you know, alternative is basically unrecognizable to what it was when it started out. And it's, you know, there's hardly any alternative stations left around the country, but AAA has always kind of been able to play off of like, all right, here's the the comfort food, you know, that's going to draw you in and the songs that you know and remember from, you know, whether you were in high school back then or college or you were, you know listening to your older brother's collection or whatever it was, and then you can kind of mix in like the if a hosier or Mumford and Sons or David Brothers emerges, it mixes in pretty seamlessly where you can kind of honor the legends but still kind of expose people to to new music and that that's the audience right is the people that want they don't just want the old stuff they they want it, but they still want to be you know hey, want times right
1: <laughs> I'm often surprised when I go to uh, events at our station and meet some people who listen and there's people who there who are in college which is very cool they maybe they're in a band and they maybe they want to get their song on maybe they're there with their parents and their parents listen to the station too and that's really cool but they can like dig the same kind of music but there's a lot of people who are your age who don't listen to AAA radio, who listen to the same crap they listened to in high school and don't change the station ever. <laughs> and people who listen to AAA, they want musical discovery. I mean, five years ago, I'd never heard of Hosier before. Yeah. You know, three years ago, I'd never heard of... I'm going to get a list here and look. There's so many new artists that we play. I hadn't heard of The Heavy Hours six months ago. Yeah. And they have like a, a record that's really doing well. It was produced by Dan Arbach of the Black Keys. They're from Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um I hadn't heard of Devin Gilfillian a couple of years ago and he moved here from Philly. Yeah. A great new artist. He was on Kimmel last night. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta go out and find new stuff and there's a lot of good music out there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um I assume you guys have still been trying to do those like in studio sessions and stuff when you can. I can't remember who it was, but um Maybe one of the weekend guys was doing um like on Instagram, he was he was able to so we've like, done a few virtual... things on
1: on Zoom or yeah. on Instagram or, or FaceTime Live, but no, we haven't had anyone in the studio since March. We used to have two or three artists a week in the studio to play live and Nashville's like the hub of of the South. It's like there's three interstates that go through Nashville. So everyone drives through here or records here or plays here. Or hangs out here so boom
0: how is that nashville traffic though since everybody is staying home has it gotten a little better
1: it's a lot better (laughs) although on the interstate today when i was driving home it was bad but i don't take the interstate i live five miles from work and i take the side streets 30 (laughs) miles an hour boom
0: (laughs) you know the the route to go for sure well so yeah you've seen nashville i mean what was it like when you moved there compared to now? Cause it's what uh, Metro is like 2 million people. Is that right? Something like I that. I
1: don't know. We're, we're a top 50 market now. Um, when I moved to Nashville, they didn't have cable TV. Um, the best restaurants were chain restaurants. Um, they didn't have any sports teams. They barely had live music venues. And now it's like a tourist hub. It's the bachelorette party capital of America. We have the Predators, the Titans. The Ryman is like a great place to see a show. Um, Bridgestone Arena, which is our hockey arena, is one of the busiest venues in the country for either shows almost every day or the hockey games. We've got a great new convention center. They've built a bunch, a bunch of new hotels downtown. Hmm. It's It's a booming city crazy but right now there's nobody there's nobody traveling so we're kind of screwed
0: yeah i wonder you know what kind of hit the city has taken in terms of all that tourism and and live music money just sort of uh being put on hold but hopefully we'll be able to get back to it uh as early as we possibly can here in the new year and um you know the recovery efforts i'm sure are probably still ongoing from the the tornado back in in march it really seemed to
1: well, the tornado was what nine months ago, mm-hmm. and there are still houses and buildings in my neighborhood that still are boarded up.
0: Man, so are you in East Nashville then?
1: I'm in East Nashville. Okay, my house got hit by the tornado in '98. Oh, and I was in a hotel for six months, but that was only six months. This has been nine months, and their stuff is not even fixed yet. Man, horrible.
0: So, how close was this one to where you're at now? Then,
1: uh, less than two miles.
0: Were you at home at the time, or I did, was? Did you have to kind <laughs> of? I was basement the and, and
1: I was I was sitting on the steps of the basement, watching and waiting for the loud sound and run downstairs. <laughs>
0: oh, man, well, and at least you had that best experience, I guess, to uh, to go by, and um, I guess things like that happen in Minnesota too. But you're, I think of you as a Minnesota guy just because of the Vikings connection, I guess, and you still have a love for that town i mean how did that I love,
1: I love the twin cities it's a yeah. great place to grow up
0: what were the stations you were listening to then because i know they have a pretty storied radio history too
1: um i used to listen to kstp which was a top 40 station i listened to wcco which was a news talk information station they also carried the twins games i think maybe they carried the vikings games as well um, I lived out in the country, so I didn't get some of the some of the better, cooler stations because I lived like an hour away from the Twin Cities. So unless you had a big antenna, your transistor radio, you just got to pick it up.
0: Okay. So that was a big deal then to like get to go in into town? Like did you hit the record school? Well, stage? I went
1: to school oh. in town. My dad took me to school every day. He, he okay. worked down there. I went
0: gotcha. to private
1: school. Yeah. So.
0: Well, do you have any good Prince stories from back then? You were probably too young to really...
1: Um, I don't, but my buddy, Des Dickerson, who played guitar for Prince, lives in Nashville, and I see him at the Vikings bar all the time.
0: (laughs) There's a Vikings bar in... Of course there is. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So you haven't given up on them at all. You you haven't jumped on the, the Titans train. 100% they come up yet. at the
1: same time, man. I can't watch both.
0: <laughs> well, I, I have a Sunday
1: ticket so I can watch the Vikings on my couch. And I'm a, I'm a hardcore enough fan that I hit pause on my DirecTV and I sync up the radio broadcast on satellite radio and listen to the hometown announcer.
0: <laughs> That's the way to do it, man. That's great. I worked uh, with a guy here in Charlottesville. There's a he was like the head of the Buffalo Bills fan club, so they would all get together and watch at a, at a local place when the the Bills. Now they're actually worth watching, but uh, Bills Mafia, the Bills Mafia. That's right. But let's uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll uh, we'll collect our thoughts, and we want to get some more of uh, these uh, great uh, live music stories and just industry stories from the Rev, and we might even have him tell the story behind why he's called the Rev. But it's, uh, it's Keith Coase from Lightning 100 in Nashville here on the Radio Friendly Unit Shifters podcast. All right, back for another segment here with the Rev. Keith Coase from Radio Lightning down in Nashville, Tennessee. And they do a great job. If you ever get a chance to uh, listen through, you guys are on the TuneIn app, right?
1: Correct.
0: And then what's the official website?
1: Lightning100.com.
0: There you go. And uh, great collection. And of course, of books.
1: Lightning is L-I-G-H-T-N-I-N-G. Did you you can't believe how many people send us email like Lightning. And it's like, no, dude, no, it's not right.
0: <laughs> this is the part of the, the podcast where we usually have uh, the guests kind of share some stories of like, I mean, you've met pretty much everybody at this point. I mean, we've got a pretty funny uh, South by Southwest story. I don't know if you want to tell that one of the the elevator. (laughs) Loving an elevator, as it were.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We were at South by Southwest. This has got to be like 10 years ago, probably. And this is the middle of the afternoon. We're at the Four Seasons. And you never know who you're going to see at the Four Seasons because earlier that Maybe the same day we saw Bill Murray in a cab. I think maybe the same um, year I saw Nikki Six in the lobby and confronted him and got a picture with him and so on. So we're on the elevator looking for this party. Jeff and, and I forgot who the girl that was with us.
0: I think it was Liz Mizako, maybe.
1: Okay. Yeah. We're on the elevator at the Four Seasons. This guy gets on the, on the elevator and I'm going, dude, that's an awesome t-shirt. Where'd you get that shirt? And they're like, dude, they're like elbowing me and so on. And I'm just talking to the guy shooting the shit. And he gets off a couple of floors later and they're like, dude. And I was like, what? What? Who was it?
0: <laughs> that was Matthew McConaughey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dumbass.
0: <laughs> oh, man. He did look a little different. I feel like maybe he had, I don't think he had a hat on, but it was something about him he was going to a label showcase i think for his own record label that he had just started and i think they were trying to get triple a to play it was kind of a reggae-ish artist i can't remember his name but oh i remember
1: that now i remember that
0: trevor hall maybe or something anyway it was that's where we were in route to i think but then we just freaked out because he was there and at the time i think it was basically over the the event was and uh he was just kind of going to get some face time probably. And we, so we just took the <laughs> elevator straight back down. <laughs> oh man. And then I think that's where we saw Bill Murray and Robert Duvall, like getting into their vehicles as we were like walking out and I'm trying not to be too, you know, conspicuous, but I like, I'm like, I got to take get a picture if there's <laughs> any way uh, we didn't get one of McConaughey, but um, yeah, it was, that was uh Pretty funny. And I think that was the same time we ran into Skylar Fisk, who I happen to know because Sissy Spacek has kind of raised her family in this area. And so we kind of counted her as a local artist all these years. And Skylar has done a little bit of acting, but she's done a lot of music and I think she kind of bounces around between here in Nashville and LA, depending on what, what mode she's in, but (laughs) she was in the lobby that day too. So, you know, I guess if you hang out in the four seasons long enough, this is how the, uh, (laughs) I've
1: had a good time at the Four Seasons, I I promise you that.
0: (laughs) So if you had to choose, I mean, South by Southwest, I just love it so much. I mean, Austin is so great. Uh, Then there's the Americana Fest that Nashville has really – that thing has just gained so much steam the past few years especially. But then there's Bonnaroo. So, I mean, of the three of those each year, which uh, (laughs) – (laughs) tell us a good story from each how about that we've already done one south by story but if if you have any others
1: my favorite south by story is about maybe seven or eight years ago james evans drugged me to see this band they were playing in a garage and i'm like okay these guys are pretty cool then i saw them the next day and they were playing at um God, at the Rachel Ray party at Stubbs, and it's like uh, one of the big
0: day parties.
1: Yeah, it's a big day party with free drinks. The funniest part about that is when I was leaving that party, I asked them for water. Water costs money, but drinks were free. It was like, are you kidding me, man? So anyway, these guys, they see me. Their van's pulling away from the party, but they see me and they give me a wristband to get in. And it was Imagine Dragons, the guys who I'd met the night before. And they were like some new band that was from like, were they from Utah or something?
0: Yeah, so Vegas they, maybe, yeah.
1: They were a baby band that no one knew who they were. Yeah. And I went to Stubbs and saw Ed Sheeran, you know, and I'm drinking for free all day with my wristband. And the funniest part is with the wristband that they gave me was an artist wristband. So I walked in the door and I'm right there behind the stage. And I'm like, oh, hell, how do I get out of here? I have to ask, how do I get out into the audience? I had to ask <laughs> one of the security guards <laughs> That's my favorite South By story.
0: Nice. Like right before Ed Sheeran went on? That's, that's yes.
1: fine. Americana, it's it's always great. Um, it's really hard for me because I have to go to work every day. Yeah. And then I have to find a place to park. Or else I have to take Uber or Lyft all over town.
0: Yeah, so, so it's a little more spread out. I mean, South By is pretty spread out, but there are – you can kind of – you know spend time in certain areas and hit a bunch of bands is
1: we have a shuttle that goes around during americana but if you find something that you like the best place to go is the mercy lounge and the cannery and the high watt because there's three buildings i mean there's three venues in one building uh, okay. downstairs, and downstairs and then the next night you go somewhere else
0: nice i'll remember that for if i ever make it there to uh to the americana fest in the fall but
1: um there's Bonnaroo, some yeah. Great stories. I don't even know what what to tell you about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah, we don't want to get you in, into too much trouble here, but uh, we've talked to, with previous guests here on the podcast about the the setup where you've got you know the the broadcasting area is right near where there's kind of a, a tour bus. Some years there'd be multiple tour buses, and that's the air conditioned area where us. Uh, so, Wussy we'll radio people would uh, would get away from the hundred degree heat and the the thunderstorms and the huge crowd. We would be able to kind of hunker down there and and cool off and en- enjoy some uh, some food and beverages there. But uh, occasionally you'd get to interview bands. But for the most part, they had you know the the whole setup of the backstage hay bale sessions. They called them because there's hay bales everywhere for soundproofing. But they're just you know mobile units and bands would play little acoustic sets in there. Some of my funny or weird Bonnaroo stories come from just sort of hanging out in that area. And then, Oh, all of a sudden somebody finished their set and you'd, you'd be able to either chat with them or get a picture or just kind of hang out for a minute just because you happen to be in the right place at the right exactly,
1: time. Do exactly.
0: you ever bump in anybody that way back there?
1: Yeah, I, re- I recall um, seeing Mavis Staples get off of a golf cart and shaking her hand. And that was kind of cool. Um, who else was going to say? Oh, Kenny Rogers. I saw him backstage. You know, it's like, what the hell, man? <laughs> you know, that was the year that he played with Fish.
0: Oh, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, man.
1: But uh, backstage was was amazing at Bonnery because most of the bands would come back and play in the studio and do a quick interview. And then that, all that information would be made available to the stations in like a half hour, and you could send it back to the station and broadcast it. And boom, that's not many festivals do that kind of setup. They don't even do it at Bonnaroo anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Things have have changed a little bit there with all that stuff, but um, that must've been nice though. Having all that basically in your backyard and it was all your radio, your station people, your coworkers that were kind of coordinating the whole, the whole deal.
1: They built a giant festival on a farm about an hour and change from Nashville. And you're sitting in the middle of a field that has, probably has cow crap in it. And you're, you're getting wireless signal and you're broadcasting live. You're, you're online with your, with your computer on Wi-Fi. And you're drinking water in this air-conditioned tent. It's like, this is pretty, pretty damn nice, man.
0: What have been some of your favorite uh, headliners? I guess Metallica, I remember that year for sure. I, I made sure to be down there in the pit. Also for because uh, Chris Rock came out and introduced him. I mean that was that was awesome. Pearl Jam, I've been fortunate enough to see that. I'm I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. Both the times that they've headlined, Paul McCartney was one of the the big highlights for me. Stevie Wonder was a great year when he played the main stage. But so, a lot of times it's those side stage, like when there's only you know 30 people in this sea of like eighty thousand, you can just walk right up and see somebody doing this awesome set. And then a couple of years. Later, they're the ones that are playing the second biggest stage. Or the, the- yeah,
1: I, re- I recall seeing um, my morning jacket in a late night you know, show in the rain. I, um, yeah. Mumford & Sons, the first year they played there, that was the biggest crowd ever at the – which I always get them confused, this stage and that stage. The, the, the smaller one, that was the biggest crowd they ever had at the smaller of the big stages when they played. And it was like, holy crap, this is going to blow up. <laughs> but, uh, you yeah, know, I've seen James Brown at Bonnaroo. That was pretty awesome. I've seen Ice Cube, Public Enemy, all kind of cool stuff, man. And oh, it's, it's, it's just amazing to see people that you've not even heard of, heard of before, but you just go, well, i let's go watch three or four songs, and then I'll go to the next tent. And then you, you might find something that's just amazing. You're like, holy crap. And you write it down, and you go look it up when you get home, and you discover new music.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that always struck me about Bonnaroo is, you know, I'm not the biggest jam band fan by any means, but that was the always the through line for me, no matter if you had heard of them or not, or maybe you weren't that big a fan or not. And you would go, if you would actually spend the time and, and watch a song or two, even whoever it was would just blow you away. Like it didn't matter if it was in a tent, if it was in the middle, if it was like one of the huge stages, like. <laughs> everybody no one, just no one sucks. Yeah. They would all and it and the energy of the whole crowd and everybody being so open to all those different things. It's like, you could tell that the artists would all feed off of that. And it just, the whole intensity of, of everybody's performance, I feel like, and you know, there was a, the year somehow we, we ended up side stage with the whole wristband deal. We got in the area for the, the roots super jam when D'Angelo came out of basically retirement and hadn't, it was a
1: late night jam.
0: Nobody knew, like, what are we see even going to play? You know, like, does he have a new album? Like, what's going on? So that was, that was pretty awesome. And then that, I think it was the year before maybe where, or it might have been that same year where it was the all-star jam, where it was everybody from like Billy Idol to Jim James and then R. Kelly, uh, Brittany Howard. And I think John Oates was the one who, he and Jim James were like coordinating the super jam. And it Whoa. just became this, like, everybody was just going insane because you didn't, and th- that's the thing with Bonnaroo. I'm surprised they didn't do that from, like, day one where the super jam was just whoever they could get to jump on stage and do a song, you know? I mean, I guess you got to rehearse a little bit, but...
1: Well, the uh, first few years was more of a jam festival than anything.
0: Yeah, I missed those first couple years. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think 05 was the first year I went. So you've probably been to every single one, right?
1: No, I haven't gone the last two or three years, but I went to the first, like, 15 or so. The first year was complete and utter cluster (laughs) because they didn't, people who ran the interstates, like the police and all the rest, they had no idea what was happening. And all of a sudden, on the day before the festival, traffic is lined up for hours on the interstate. My friends from Warner Brothers were driving from Nashville to Atlanta, which is a four-hour drive. It took them like seven hours because of the Bonnaroo traffic.
0: And wrong day. I mean,
1: they just didn't know that people would be lined up from driving all over the country that were trying to get there early, and they're on the side of the road drinking beer and taking a pee probably and all the rest of the stuff.
0: I feel like it's still not great for the the general population, but they, they give the media people like this little route around and kind of the back side well, roads they, and the back they, road. Started,
1: they started opening the roads up earlier they opened the gates on like thursday morning or maybe even wednesday night now so yeah, okay. it's no big hassle but still if you are out in the crowd it's it's rough going when you get parked enough to walk like two or three miles a day to get back and forth to your campground we were lucky to be backstage and just walk to our bus and get in the bunk and it's air conditioned. It's all good.
0: A <laughs> little tiny idea of what it means to be a, a rock star on the road, because th- those bunks are very uh, coffin-like. Where you <laughs> <laughs> once you're in there, man, you're you're not getting out anytime soon. But uh, Reb, before we let you go, I mean, I gotta ask you about the Ryman. Uh, I know we, we okay talked a little bit about some of these legendary venues. Now, is that a place that got refurbished at? a certain point or has it always kind of maintained that mystique and that, uh, cause I've, I get it confused with grand old Opry and then.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll give you a quick, yeah, a yeah. quick lesson on that. The, um, Ryman was an old, I think it was an old church back in the, maybe the late 1800s. I could be wrong on the dates, but it's the Ryman was like the home of the grand old Opry for years and years and years. And it was old. Like, I don't think it had air conditioning. It didn't have an elevator. It didn't have a bar. Um, it didn't really have much of anything. It was just a, a venue with nothing in there. Then when they built the Opry House, which was probably the late 70s or very early 80s, the Grand old Opry moved to the Opry House. Okay. And the Ryman was empty for years.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And some people wanted to tear it down, and they almost tore it down. Whew and I think Lou Harris, and you can look it up, but there's several other artists and historic people from Nashville. They were like, no, you can't tear this building down. This is an amazing place. And then they used to have it open for tours. And then they finally, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, spent a boatload of money and fixed it up, refinished all the, all the benches in there. They put in air conditioning, they put in bars, they put in new restrooms. They built other stuff around the building. They've added a cafeteria slash restaurant. Now and it wins like Polestars like venue of the year every year. And it's a magical place to go to see a show.
0: Yeah, is it the acoustics in there or is it like Amazing. The, the, Amazing. It's special seating. It's like a church, right? The p- it's p- like p- a church, right?
1: <laughs> sitting on a and ch- you're sitting on a church pew and right now they're doing socially distant shows, so it doesn't really fill up, but it holds about 2,300,
0: 2,400 people. Oh, okay. But so you, you
1: can go to a show there, and, and this happens a lot. Like, I've seen Elvis Costello do this. I've seen uh, people at the Americana Awards show, which is the most amazing award show. They'll be singing, and they'll step away from the microphone and sing, and you can still hear them in the balcony. It's like the acoustics are amazing. Wow. And when they sing like that, people shut the hell up.
0: Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Well, in the stained glass window too, right? I feel like yes. Dave Grohl did a pretty good job. Uh, I think he had Zach Brown for that one on the, what was it, Sonic Highways or whatever, when he was doing the...
1: The Foo Fighters played there on Halloween about three years ago. Oh, Great show. Man.
0: So what's your what's your typical day like? I mean, in terms of, are you basically listening to music all day and you, then you got to schedule the music? And, you know, we were talking uh, yesterday to kind of get ready for this thing and then you were saying how like... When you get done with work, man, you don't necessarily want to listen to music on your way home. You're like in sports well, talk mode or you just well, to get away from it. Right.
1: The last few days I've been listening to the new station uh, to see what they're up to. Yeah. But uh, my musical tastes are so bizarre. Some days I have my radio on seriously Sinatra. Other days I have it on Ozzy's Boneyard. Today I was listening to sports talk cause they had, um, they were talking about the football game. Yeah. But my musical tastes are so diverse that, I listen to all kinds of stuff.
0: Do you make like playlists and stuff since we've had all this sort of, it's not really downtime when you're still, you know, working and everything. And so we we
1: make a playlist for our music meetings every month. Oh, okay. We just make a Spotify playlist and each of the DJs can add songs in there. And I make up a list of things that are going for ads, things that are most added things that people are working me on things that I found that I like. And we bring it into our meeting and we, we used to have the, like we talked about earlier, the big 20 people meeting. Now it's like a zoom or FaceTime meeting with like three of us. And we all have our information there and we'll talk about what song do you really like? What song, you know, we used to talk about who's coming to town, who's playing our show. who's you know, Those are not even happening these days. So it's a little bit different world, but still there's so much good music out there and now we're getting to Christmas time. It's, almost done with all new stuff until January.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of a break, so um, we really appreciate your time, man, and all all the great stories, so best of luck there as we all kind of navigate all this stuff, and hopefully there'll be some live music, and, you know, I guess the Predators will be playing home games at some point, with or without crowds, right?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's, Nashville's a crazy town. When I moved here, they had a minor league team that drew probably less than a thousand people and now the Predators sell out every game.
0: Yeah, it's really become a hockey town. That's wild. And, and the Titans have become a, a really good franchise and almost made the Super Bowl last year, of course. So do you try to go to those, those games? Do you have an inside track on, it, on the sports stuff too? Or not so much? Uh,
1: when the Predators first came to town, we had free tickets. But once they got popular, those went away really quickly. <laughs> um, the Titans I'll go if the Vikings are off. And one of my friends goes, hey, you want to go to the game? I'll go, hell yeah, what the heck. <laughs> but I don't have any Titans gear, none at all. I have like 20 Vikings jerseys and a bunch more hats and all the rest. So I have nothing Titans, not even one piece.
0: <laughs> well, what, when's the last Vikings game you went to? They probably don't ever play the the Titans. But, uh...
1: Uh, actually, it was uh, two years ago they played them in preseason.
0: Oh, uh, Okay. So you got to see him right there in Nashville, huh?
1: I did. And they also played a regular season game like 3 or 4 years ago. So yeah, I've seen him a couple times here.
0: Well, I thought this might be their year to to kind of, you know, they gave Kirk Cousins all that money and then it hasn't quite turned out that way.
1: <laughs>
0: you should have <laughs> known. I could have told you that, man. I've lived out here long enough to suffer through all these Washington football team issues, man. They're Oh, man. Any once we get back to to normal uh, times here, you're you're welcome uh, this way if you ever come east. I don't know if you've ever made it through Charlottesville, but uh, I've
1: never been to Virginia as far as I know.
0: Okay, well you know we always enjoyed that that trip uh, heading that way and, and heading back home from Bonnaroo. It's it's a beautiful drive going through um, Southwest Virginia and the the hills of Tennessee there. So <laughs> a lot of music history in in between here and there and. In both towns too once you, once you get to where you 're going, so one of these days, man, somebody 's going to come along I think and, and do like a Netflix documentary about uh, about the rev oh.
1: <laughs>
0: you, you better get an agent though you, you need to get some money out of that. <laughs> the Netflix right. are just throwing money everywhere
1: <laughs> oh, it would be nice
0: have you seen are you watching a lot of Netflix during this time too the, the quarantine uh, i,
1: I don 't I have direct TV and I have so many channels. There's, I have stuff on my DVR to record, I mean, to watch that I've lots of cooking shows, some yeah. cartoons, <laughs> all kind of stuff. Man.
0: That's what we are too. It's just, there's so much content now, right? It's like, who who has the time to explore half of it, right? But.
1: I, I don't know because when I was a kid, we had three or four channels and now I have 200 channels and a DVR, a bunch of VCR tapes, um dvds cds out the ass i got spotify i got what else do I have pandora i've got my own radio station i got the internet
0: you got satellite radio too you said right
1: yeah i got that too, uh, too was much gonna,
0: in- yeah too much information for sure i was going to ask you that are you more of a were you more of a cassette or record guy when you first got into to music and some of your favorite artists initially and then you know, growing up there in Nashville through your high school and college years, did you kind of accumulate CDs or did you go through yes. a purge at one point? Yeah. Or
1: I still have several thousand CDs in my basement and I probably have about a thousand pieces of vinyl. Yeah, I got rid of about 500 or so a couple of years ago, things that I didn't ever pay for, didn't listen to and didn't really care about. They found a good home, so...
0: You got to do it every once in a while, right there is a Netflix show about that, I think that I haven't watched, but um, paring down um, I've been trying to do that a little bit this year, but Grime East would be the record store right once I do make it to nashville
1: that's one of the cool record stores in the country
0: yeah yeah, they just
1: moved about six months ago, maybe a year ago they just moved to east nashville
0: and then what's so what would be the the restaurant that I would have to go to above all? Others dude, there's there so for many for like a weekend or something.
1: I don't even know, dude. Um, I only go out when people take me out. <laughs> I, just, I go to like the cheap Mexican restaurant or I go eat Thai food. You know, I don't go to the really nice new places. I work in radio.
0: <laughs> that's true. There's too many to choose from, right? It's like...
1: Uh, yeah, just go to a website called Nashville Eater.
0: Oh, that's the one. Okay.
1: Yeah, but there's they open probably i don't know five or ten
0: restaurants a week in nashville yeah. it's just you can't keep up with them it's insane anybody that wants a good radio station to listen to check out uh lightning 100 you guys do such a great job and you've been there since pretty much the beginning so thanks uh rev for taking us on this this journey through the past and uh <laughs> what you've been up to here in in the present day so take care man uh, good to visit with you and Basically, the, the version of the story where you got the rev was, you were trying to help out a friend who was getting married, right, online? Uh, correct, sir. You became a reverend.
1: Incorrect.
0: No, okay. I'm, I'm misremembered.
1: I used to do a metal show, and this company called The Syndicate, which is a promotion company, they got all the heavy metal directors that reported to CMJ to go all, all go online to the universal life church and ordain themselves that's right and then when you look at cmj every metal director was like reverend something or other <laughs> and it was a joke but i was like the only guy that went from aaa went from metal to aaa and i just kept the reverend part so boom there you go
0: yes that's that's worked very well for you man that, that <laughs> i knew it had something to do with the online angle but yeah i forgot it related back to the syndicate those, those guys man <laughs> I, I gotta get somebody from the syndicate on here too they'll have some good stories
1: one funny story i didn't tell you was how i got my job when i was an intern at rca records yeah they posted a, a job listing on the wall at uh at vanderbilt by the radio station on the bulletin board yeah it's one of those things like we're looking for an intern and it had all these different tabs with the, with the phone number on it yeah i just took the whole thing so no one else would call boom hello so
0: you got it (laughs) (laughs) well what was that like so that would have been what mid-80s still
1: um i worked there from like maybe like 89 90 okay like the artists were like alabama the judds michael johnson joel saunier foster and lloyd were on there it was the only black dude in the country office
0: yeah what was that like i mean you did it for a couple of years, so it must not have been too bad. But uh, what did you learn from that?
1: I worked in the publicity department. I met a lot of cool people mm-hmm. and uh, learned how to, that you didn't have to be that smart to be in the music business as long as you could do what they told you to do and show up to work. I mean, there was dudes that would have drinks in their office, and, you know. It didn't matter it as long as their work got done. So it was like, okay, cool, man. Yeah, those We pub- had beer in the fridge at RCA. I was like, oh, hell yeah.
0: (laughs) They had different promo budgets back then, didn't they? Late 80s, early 90s. The money was just flowing.
1: Dude, They had a pop promotion guy that had an office in there. And he knew I worked at the college radio station. So I'd go to his office and he'd just go, just go, just take whatever you want to, man. It's like, oh, hell yeah. (laughs) The crazy days of the 80s and 90s, man.
0: I think it was the Brian Corona, Steve nice episode where they, they were talking about how they got into the promo biz and, you know, it was kind of dodgy there at first and they didn't know what they were doing or whatever. And, um, and I told him I had like you, I'd seen a thing for a Sony intern and, uh, <laughs> I went and interviewed. I got all like I was wearing a tie, I think, and it was just compl- I bombed so bad. And here I had already worked in radio like three or four years at that point, and I knew the the industry. And this was just a, you know, some. you're
1: probably more dressed up than the person that interviewed you.
0: <laughs> they they were just laughing, Corona and nice for like that. You blew it right there, you know, like. Steve Nice was like, I showed up in like a hockey shirt and the guy who was interviewing me happened to be an LA Kings fan. And so that's how I basically got started. You know, John? I don't think so. Uh. -uh.
1: He's a record company guy. He used to work at Lost Highway. He's worked at a bunch of different labels. Okay. He's a pretty famous guy. And he told me that when he got his first job in the music business, he was hung over as And he went to the interview. And he was wearing a tie, and it was, he was sweating profusely. And he leaned over and puked in the dude's plant at the interview. And he got the job because he showed up even though he was hungover.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: I could go on forever. It's, it's another quick, quick story that freaks me out a little bit, that artists know me, and like they see me at the station, and they're like, yo, hey, what's up, Rev? And it's like, damn, man, that's pretty fucking cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you have made your mark. Are there certain artists that stick out in your mind as like Radio Lightning helped break them or at least in Nashville circles, you guys kind of gave them a a leg up?
1: Well, there's so many that are, I mean, we've been playing Will Hogue for probably 20 years. Yeah. But we were the first station in Nashville to, you know, to play Imagine Dragons. We were the first station to play John Mayer. First station to play Ed Sheeran. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't play them now because they kind of crossed over, but we were there when their first album came out and they came by the station and did the photo thing and played in the studio and the whole bit, you know, bought us pizza probably. Pete Yorn for sure. We've been playing him for 20 years Mm -hmm. when he still comes by. Uh, There's so many artists that, you know, whether it's Five for Fighting or Train, Mm -hmm. you know, we were the first stations to play those artists and. Basically, everybody who was on, you know, what was it, Aware Records? mm mm-hmm. <laughs> Those compilations, we played about everybody on there, so.
0: <laughs> We've talked about that in, in past episodes, where it is kind of a, not a copycat format, but it's, you know, once one big station kind of gets behind something, that can really be the, the thing that puts them over the top. And sometimes it, it, you might be the only station playing them. Like, it, the A stations are individual in that sense, where sometimes there can be something that you think is – the greatest thing in the world unless maybe there's a groundswell of support that you can be out on an island sometimes, right?
1: One thing that that people who aren't from this area don't recognize, and you're from around here, so maybe you do, but a lot of those bands that were unaware were all like kind of Southern. Well, not all of them, but they were based in either the SEC or the ACC. And if you play fraternity parties, Then all of your frat brothers in every city know who you are, and you can go tour in every city that has a college. And then you get on the radio there, and it just keeps building and building.
0: Yep, that's the Dave Matthews formula right there, I think. Widespread panic,
1: the same thing there from Athens.
0: Yep, OAR did that. Yep,
1: so that's the thing, man.
0: Between us, like for two people in radio to only have worked in four total markets. That's pretty, (laughs) pretty incredible. Well, cool, man. Uh, Rev, take it easy and go, uh, go Vikings. All right,
1: sir. Thank you.